2: Of the Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is time for us when we go back and celebrate the six-year history of Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode R. we got a great show for you guys this week. We've got three phenomenal episodes to be talking about from Season 2, and joining me to discuss these episodes, as always, well,
0: is my co-host Kieran. Kieran, how are you? I am fantastic. Much the way. and we'll have to apologize in advance. For the delay in the release of this particular episode, but it's, it's still uh, really to keep popping up. Show. I don't know why, but it's just something
2: about this show. Yeah. Every podcast goes through the, this phase in the first hundred episodes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the first is. bunch of bunch of SW podcasts were even worse than this, if you can imagine, in terms of uh, technical difficulties and and wampas popping up all over the place and stuff. Yeah, Minox, yeah. Minox, at yeah, Minox, everything. Uh, but also joining us too. Break down these episodes. He is the public relations manager for the Get Your Geek On podcast, which can be heard live every Monday night on Channel 1138, hosted by David Gramellion. It's Jeff. Jeff, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic, Dominic. And just a little side note. I mean, that may be my main title, but to be honest, I'm more well known on Channel 1138, where I'm like I, I want. I want listen to every single show on that channel because. Uh, Why not? I mean, it's a great network. So, yeah, yeah, I'm doing great today.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, champ, today we're We have to start we are off co- by giving of away the, something we Mandalore promised we'd to give away last week and that's the Mandalorian plot of Jedi Master Tempt- Koth temptation signed by voice actor Chris Pratt and this is of course three three courtesy of our pretty groundbreaking absolute clone media. wars that really uh, That's so we got a bunch a of lot entries of over and, our next and our winner for year 4 seasons so Rumorously is that these things right make sure you have episode descriptions for us. Nate Brewer! Mm-hmm. Nate, mm-hmm. Nate Congratulations, of we'll getting in touch plot. with you, uh, and to get your mailing address, rumors, and we'll pass that along to David and the team
0: over at Echo Base. Media, And you will be getting, a signed picture of about the Mandalorian uh, Well, of Jedi Master, and the I should say, you've crossed signed next. By Mr. Chris Edgley, the was was net. So if you missed uh, that, hit up the yeah, iTunes. And attempts, and listen to Anakin discovers that Obi-Wan and the Duchess have a history together. And finally, um, Duchess of Mandalore episode. On Coruscant, word reaches Duchess Satine that Death Watch is mobilizing, sparking a preemptive Republic invasion. On the run from Republic authorities, Satine and Obi-Wan set off to discover the group's true motives.
2: Alright, well, first things first, I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is that how great it is that we are recording this episode now and not several months ago because... We don't have to talk about canon! This is the Yay. only canon that matters! All of the other expanded universe has been relegated to Legends status, and, well, we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to worry yeah. about um, what the Mandalores were doing in, uh, in the Republic Commando novels or anything else going on at this time. So it's great. We can just talk about these episodes and these Mandalorians. But uh, yeah. I want to start uh, off... Oh, go ahead, Jeff.
1: Yeah, and in addition to your continuity error thing that we don't have to worry about it, there is, you remember Obi-Wan's lover in the EU, um, Siri Tashi? We yep. don't have to worry about that. such yes. as the team. So She's got to. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, let's start, off, uh, let's start off by talking about Mandalorians just in general, though, because, you know, even though we don't have to talk about continuity or canon or any of that stuff, um, you know, Mandalorians, that is a word that the Star Wars fans, you know, it definitely means something, and something that goes back to the original trilogy with, with Boba Fett, and, and we saw Django in the prequels, and, and it has been written in all these these legends comics, and became kind of this legend status <laughs> thing before uh, the expanded universe became legends. Um, and so, I want to ask you guys: Did the Mandalorians in this episode, whether it be it Death Watch or, or Satine or whoever, um, did they live up to your expectations of Mandalorians? Like, Kieran,
0: you go first. I would say they did. I I didn't read much of the expanded universe material in general, but in particular relation to the Mandalorians. And I understand that they are one of the eminent groups that are discerned in, in the EU. They're 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 prominent and they're particularly popular. But as we've said, that doesn't really matter now because we know the EU is part of the Legends universe and it's not canon. So I think that's, that's a particular important feature to, to really understand and make note of. As far as the Mandalorians in, in, in this particular art go, I think they were fantastic. And you actually get to see them as more of this armed force unit, more than these hooligans, as Satine calls them. And they're far more organized than that and they shouldn't really be diminished in that respect. But that's something that was really mentioned in the Filoni featurette, because obviously the Mandalorians, um, when this was being aired, obviously the EU was canon, and that's when Filoni was making a mention to George Lucas, when Lucas said he wanted to make an arc, um, create an arc about the Mandalorians. He just shoved off this massive paper, like, I don't know, a foot high, and just put it (laughs) on the table and said... Here we go, George. This is what we got in the EU. What we're we going to do about it? You know, there's so much controversy surrounding it, and, and and it was good to see that they actually respected it as well, because the history of the Mandalorians is very much the same in these episodes. A lot of it, particularly the fact that they're these mercenary people, they fought against the Jedi. There was this massive cataclysm, this violent fight between the Jedi and the Mandalorians which were super commandos and this has really made a mention in the, in the premiere episode of the Mandalore plot so for me I really enjoyed the Mandalorians and I think they're more importantly this new third element or maybe fourth element there's a number of different elements in Star <laughs> Wars I know but it's it's certainly a main one that has been not just looked at in these particular episodes but observed in later arcs as well so I'm very, I was very pleased to see them
2: yeah, definitely, definitely. And, Jeff, how about you? Did did they sort of live up to your expectations of of what you thought Mandalorians should be?
1: Actually, yes, it did. I mean, the way the entire arc was portrayed in the Clone Wars, I mean, whether it's, like, character developments, like with Duchess Satine and, and Pre Vizsla, the conflicts between the old Mandalore and the, the new Mandalore and peace and fighting, and then there's also the fact that even something like the design of the buildings, which is primarily, you know, um, like skyscrapers, like glass skyscrapers, all beautiful and 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 I mean, I mean, I'm glad we actually have a canonical portrayal of Mandalore in Star Wars universe because you know, because of the way Star Wars canon is now, there's not uh, there's basically the movies and the Clone Wars and all future um, future material that will be canon for Star Wars. So I'm glad we get to see Mandalore like this. It foreshadows later seasons of the Clone Wars in a great way, and introduced new characters, and, and it was a great arc. I thought it was awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a great arc. Yeah, for, for me too, I think, uh, you know, definitely the Death Watch did live up to what I expected from Mandalorians. I mean, they weren't afraid of anything. They took on Obi-Wan, and they, they nearly beat him. I mean, <laughs> Obi-Wan was this close to being, you know, crashed into a... A thousand pieces, you know, <laughs> into smithereens. Or whatever he says in episode one, um, so he really was. Uh, they really were. They did seem dangerous, and Previsa seemed tough, and it was definitely they lived up to my expectations. But um, Jeff mentioned the architecture on Mandalore, and I, I have to say that Mandalore, yeah. more so than than any other planet we visited in the in the Clone Wars, with the exception of maybe Moraband. Um, and maybe no, not so much on uh Gave a sense of history. Like there was a real sense of culture. There was all kinds of references to their past in terms of you know there was that big mural in Previsla's uh, dining room, and then there there was the monument uh, that got blown up, and even the, their buildings kind of looked like the Mandalorian T-shaped visors um, that you that that we all know and love. And so I'm curious if you guys got that same sense. Did you sort of get the sense of of all the history on Mandalore? Jeff? Uh.
1: I I mean, yes. I mean, it was kind of a... It kind of gave you the feeling that Mandalore was trying to change, Mm -hmm. like, via Duchess Satine. And and I loved it that the architecture reflects that. I mean, some of it was still in the old Mandalore, via the Death Watch with graffiti and vandalism and all. So, yes, I do believe that the architecture... I, I it, it perfectly portrays Mandalore's history and it, it did very well at portraying what, what the world was like in that arc.
2: Yeah. yeah definitely. Kieran, how about you?
0: I'd certainly agree with that. I think like the history of Mandalore is 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 made quite it was illustrated very clearly in the the what did you call it? The fortune cookie, I guess, at the start of the episode. When it's, it's talking about ignoring the past. And you
2: ignore if you the past, cast, you jeopardize the future. That's that's fortune cookie.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that, that is something that should be made a mention of, really, because. It's really reflected in the buildings, the architecture, that, as you said, Dominic, there's, there's so much reference back to the, the old Mandalore, these super commandos, uh, really cannot be escaped, uh, because, because it's always been there, it's a part of the heritage, part of the tradition, and Satine is trying to change that, but it's really illustrating this conflict of interest between the Mandalore of the present and the Mandalore of the past. And there's no doubt about it, Pre-Visela and the Death Watch are representing that Mandalorian past and are trying to... I guess resurface the the past into the present, if that kind of <laughs> makes sense. But it, it, it's basically saying you can't you can't ignore it. It, it. It's always going to be there, and and Satine is trying to change too much of it, and as a consequence, it is. Jeopardizing the future, as the fortune cookie has said, and that's kind of what I've just reiterated in that sentence there, the fortune cookie. But it is an important concept to under to really underpin. So, what would you say, Dominic?
2: Yeah, de- definitely. I, I like what you're saying there. Uh, you know, definitely bringing up the fortune cookie. If you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. It is definitely sort of the. Uh, that's kind of the. It, it basically previews Satine's whole arc on on the Clone Wars, because you know she really tried to step away from the past and. And even you know the the Mandalorian guards. I mean, they don't really look like like Mandalorians. <laughs> you know, her, her 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 guards. Like she's tried to change so much that eventually, you know, the people do turn against her and they go to Pre Vizsla and Darth Maul and and all of these these evildoers, because they realize that Satine cannot protect them, which is unfortunate, because you know, she has the right idea, she just kind of goes about it the wrong way, I think, in terms of, you know, she doesn't really recognize the, the past. And, you know, it's kind of ironic in the <laughs> in the next Mandalore arc, um, in season three, when she says, you know, we are a people of tradition, and it's kind of like, yeah, but you're killing all of that tradition, and that's why you're ultimately going to, <laughs> to, to fall. I and mean, it's too bad for her. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, too bad for you. It sucks. She, sucks. She's got Satine. your sympathy vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's
0: got your sympathy vote there, Dominic.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, she, I, don't, to be, I hope I'm not coming across it badly, because I, I, do, I sympathize with Satine a lot. I, I really do. I, I think she has... She has a, a noble platform and a, and and really the the right idea to to try and stay out of the war and to reject war and and all of this stuff, um. But I think she kind of goes about it the wrong way on a planet that is known for war. You know, there she's always talking about the end of our wars, the end of our wars. And in in the the old Legends universe, there was a whole war called the Mandalorian Wars, <laughs> and so there is this this whole sense of, you know, they they are warriors and. The change had to be more gradual and, and she sort of tried to get everybody to quit cold turkey and that kind of turned people against her people powerful people like pre vizsla who has weapons like a dark saber um but i'm sticking with Satine, you know, we this is an arc where we're, we're we're introduced to her for the first time as well as her history with with obi-wan and so Uh, I have to ask you guys, what what did you, what what were your impressions of Sethiano initially, and now looking back at it, um, knowing where her story ends? Spoiler alert! You know we are a spoiler podcast, so if you haven't seen (laughs) season five, um, stop listening now because uh, I'm about to spoil it. In three, two, one, she dies. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Um, Kieran. um, Oh no! Oh no! It's it's. How could you do this? Um.
1: Dang is Dominic.
2: Yeah, show been show's been. Show's over now. I can spoil it if I want to. Um. Uh, so, Karen, uh, what were your impressions of Satine?
0: I think it was Satine. She she's really irritated me in this arc. I hate to say it, but she she's not really one of my favourite characters in in the clone wars series but she serves an interesting purpose and that is the relationship with obi-wan which i'm sure we will touch upon at some point soon and it's it's quite difficult i would say to distinguish her role in the clone wars from her relationship with obi-wan because that's what i think her main role is in the clone wars obviously there is something bigger than that she's the leader of 1500 neutral systems in this war um Uh, She's the leader of this particular council, and that's obviously particularly important in this. And it's illustrating as well that this war is not black and white, which is another thing that the Mandalorians do as well. There's not just the separatists and the Republic. um, As much as within that, there's not just people fighting. Not everyone is involved in this war. There are a lot of other systems which have chosen to not intervene in this particular war. They have their own particular reasons for that, and in a way you can't blame them. We've (laughs) seen already in the past two seasons the atrocities that have already been committed, the populations have been decimated, uh, resources are uh, scarce and thin in reserve, as I always hear when it comes to the Republic, our resources are stretched thin. (laughs) There's always something like that happening, and I feel like you can completely understand their point of view when they don't want to get involved in that? It's going to cost a lot of money, it's going to cost a lot of men in terms of human life, and politically, is it better for Mandalore? Those are questions that are very plausible and reasonable to be asking yourself. And and therefore, for these 1,500 neutral systems, it's, it's interesting, really, that we may also come on to this later. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Satine a bit, but that's where I believe the real war is with with Palpatine. Palpatine is, is trying to get these 1500 neutral systems, or however many others there are who aren't involved in this war, to be involved so that he can consolidate his grip over the galaxy. But, in regards to the scene, which is your original question, I'll quickly abridge this and say that oh, she's not my greatest fan, but she does serve her purpose well. And I think it's more interesting learning about Obi Wan's backstory and his history. As a consequence of the introduction of Satine, more than actually learning about the character herself, because as you have said, though, she dies in the Clone Wars, so <laughs> her character development or her character arc is very short-lived, to say the least. So I feel like she she she's died, but I'm I'm not too bothered about it. But in this particular arc, she does serve her purpose well. Um, I'll pass it on to Jeff now. Yeah, Jeff, what do you oh, think? Uh, thanks, Your opinions on Satine. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna answer that in just a moment. But to, to respond to what Kieran was saying about Palpatine trying to consolidate these systems, there's this saying I'm probably gonna say throughout this entire show, and that is Palpatine controls everything. It's the theme of the Clone Wars, and it's obvious it's been it's been slowly portrayed throughout the entire series, and that that's pretty much what's shown here. And, and you know that Palpatine controls everything the, the, through manipulation. You know he's the Sith Lord, the Chancellor, blah blah blah. But anyways, in, in response to your question, to be honest, I didn't mind a Satine character. It kind of made Obi Wan look out of character, unfortunately. But because Obi Wan was like more aggressive, I didn't really understand why he'd be in a fighting mood. That doesn't sound like Obi Wan, but anyways. But I like how Satine was in has a peaceful mindset in contrast to what the, the, the rest of the Senate, through Palpatine's manipulation, Palpatine controls everything. Um, in contrast to what the Senate has been saying as. And that you know we need more more support, but I like it that Satine has that peaceful attitude. You know, the fighting against the Palpatine controls everything. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my two cents.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's interesting um, that you bring up Obi Wan and, and and his sort of reaction to it. And that's, yeah. a, that's something I thought about as well is that he does seem to be kind of acting out of character in, 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 in throughout this arc, especially in the the second ep- first and second episodes, where him and Satine are, are arguing a lot and. It's, you know, you really get to see the more human side of Obi-Wan, where, you know, usually he's the calm, cool Jedi Master thinking things through rationally. And in this episode, you know, he seems like somebody arguing with his ex, with with his ex, you know, like he's just, he wants to win every argument. (laughs) He has to decide, he has to prove that he is right about everything. And, you know he's going to take a much more aggressive, much more Anakin-like approach to uh, to arguing with Satine because, you know, when really he probably agrees with Satine. I, I get the impression from Obi-Wan that he probably does agree with Satine a little bit more than he's uh, willing to uh, let on in this episode and that had it been, you know, him versus Anakin, he would probably be a little bit more uh, on Satine's yeah. side. Um, you know, like, I, I don't... You know, usually Obi Wan is is not the one, <laughs> you know, trying to defend the war and and stuff. But hey, if, if he's got you got, man's got to do what man's got to do to win his arguments with his axe. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I ask you guys, what what did you think of Obi Wan in this arc and, and seeing him so out of character? Jeff, I'll throw it to you.
1: Well, I mean, love is very powerful. It can change someone to be completely different than one he or she thinks. I know that because I'm in high school. <clears throat> but, but yes, I do believe that what I just said there is perfectly portrayed in, with Obi Wan and Satine. You know, Obi Wan's changed, you know, and seeing Obi Wan and Satine bicker and it affects their mindsets going forward throughout the arc. And I mean, I do believe love has an everlasting impact. It, kind of makes Obi-Wan feel like Anakin. So I guess that could be a good explanation. You know, Anakin and Padme cause Anakin to break the rules because of love. You know, Obi-Wan's team makes Obi-Wan more aggressive and not very uh, Obi-Wan-like. So it, it does make sense. I mean, you know, love's a powerful thing. Or maybe it's just power he's controlling everything. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I keep, you know, that, that's just saying. That's kind of like my theme of, for this arc. So, yeah. Sorry, carry on. All what right. about you, Kieran? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I feel that Obi Wan's character certainly seems out of place, but it's understandable. I mean, you can clearly see that he resonates with Anakin in that respect, or Anakin resonates with Obi Wan, whichever way you want to call it. But um, it's it's really interesting and intriguing to see more the Anakin and Obi Wan interaction as a consequence of Obi Wan's past with with Satine, because he reveals a lot. In the arc about how they met, how he met Satine, he was with Qui-Gon, they were on a mission running away from bounty hunters, etc., etc. And he, he, he generally fell in love with it. That's my opinion. Now, other people may question that and say, well, I'm not sure he does, but I generally believe he did. And I, I, I believe that if, it, or his line at the end of Voyage to Temptation, rather, when he said, I would have left the Jedi Order, I, I believe that's plausible. I, I'm, I, I think that he would have done, and that that goes to show really how how love can really mess with a Jedi's mind. They're not really sure yes. what to do because Anakin I mean, says. Why I...
1: Go ahead. Go ahead, Hero. Jeff. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's why the Jedi forbids love from the they, they forbid love from the Jedi code because you know it can affect the Jedi to be something that he or she is not. So. I mean, it's obviously evidenced by Anakin and Padme you know, throughout the prequel trilogy, and obviously here with Obi-Wan, you know, the change of character, and it's on jedi like So yeah, sorry, Kieran, carry on.
0: No, that's alright, and in, in in terms of that, really, the, the Obi-Wan backstory, uh, when he says, it, it really goes to show that a Jedi has to distinguish whether... But well, basically, the order is almost decided upon whether they should stay in the order on love. If if they have fallen in love, then they they recognise they have to leave the Jedi order. They they respect uh, the Jedi code enough. They see it as venerable enough to therefore leave it because they recognise they discern that the Jedi order it, it forbids attachment. And they, as a consequence, as a result of that, they, they don't want to diminish that. They don't. They don't want to affect the Jedi Order in such a negative way. But I, I, I just feel that in terms of his relationship with, with, with Satine, and it's just really interesting to see how that has changed his mindset. Even I don't know how many years ago it was when they last spoke to each other, but clearly a long time ago. And, and it has had an it has had an effect on him. And obviously, seeing seeing. Satine, again, has brought up these regurgitated feelings of, of love and, and, and questioning his, his role in the Jedi Order, whether he should be a part of it. And, and of course, the war is certainly going to amplify whether he should be of the Jedi at all. It's interesting questions, but where do you expect that of Obi-Wan, Dominic? Um,
2: well, uh, of Obi-Wan, it, it's interesting that, that you bring up the, the little bit about him, uh, you know, seeing Satine and bringing up these, these uh, old feelings. And, I wonder if part of his out of uh, characterness is because he is bring- Satine is bringing up these old feelings in him, and he's almost internally questioning, you know, is she right? Is she saying the right thing? Did I make the right decision by staying with the Jedi? And he's he's all of a sudden, he's having a bit of a crisis of identity. So he starts fighting even harder <laughs> with sort of this Jedi rhetoric that, you know, they're doing the right thing, that, you know, that sometimes the best defense is a swift offense. You know, he's making all of these, these Anakin-like justifications yeah. for everything that they're doing because... In his own mind, he's questioning if it's right or not. He he doesn't know because seeing Satine again and seeing everything that that she represents, which is the path not taken, and it's making him question his life decisions. And you know anybody who's ever spent any amount of time you know thinking about the path not taken will know that it's it's can be very tough. And it's yeah. you know it's something that you that it's a very understandable reaction from Obi Wan if you look at it that way um and uh, yeah so that's sort of what I what I take away from it, and it's not something you really expect from Obi Wan because we've always seen Obi Wan as you know we our first introduction to Obi Wan was as the old wise wizard out in the desert, and then he's the cool Padawan learner who kills Darth Maul, and then he's the you know the strict but kind Jedi master, and in, in in the episodes two and three, and then in this we finally sort of see his his more human side, and it's it's very interesting, and it's. A bit shocking at times. It, <laughs> um,
1: it shows how love can make, you know, can, sh- can really show the personal side of everyone, including the Jedi. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it, instead of Palpatine controls everything, Jeff, I think we should say love controls everything. <laughs> um,
0: and is is a <laughs> Here's Palpatine, a quick question. Maybe oh, sorry. Sorry. uh yep. I, I just feel that, is, is it... The human side that's affecting a Jedi order, because obviously we look at Anakin and Obi Wan as as two specific examples. But is it is it that that affects love? Is it is it just love that affects them in that regard? Is it because Anakin and Obi Wan obviously they're two specific Jedi examples, not necessarily the only ones. But could that be an example? I mean, everyone talks about humans in general. You see them. Well, talk about human in general. I don't mean it like that. I mean to say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean to say that when you talk about TV shows, and whether it's in war situations, love always seems to be one of these factors that contributes to whether it's a downfall of a character or something that affects them in a, a positive or negative way. And so what do you guys think about that? If, if my question is sort of making sense.
2: I'll I ask it just to clarify just a, a little bit more there, because I, I think I sort of get it, but just for a, a little I mean, bit I, more would clarity. To say, for
0: example, would you see Yoda example falling in love would you see ki mundi falling in love oh, these are different alien species is it a particular <laughs> human, is it a human is
2: it a human thing to fall in love well yeah. I, I think well just hmm interesting because, you know, I was going mean, to say that the fact that, that there are, you know, Yodas and, and Ki-Adi-Mundis in their species means that there there is love, but, you know, love isn't necessarily necessary for reproduction. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I would say that, that probably most aliens are capable of of some form of, of love and, and expression, though they may not um, show it in the same way as humans. Uh, you know, the the, the EU uh, went into a lot of um yeah you know, because they were able to with sort of characters thoughts and stuff they explained some certain species' way of expressing their their emotions and their their affections for people which is <laughs> which were very different from what you expect from humans um so yeah i i could you know see at some point in in over 800 years of of jedi life yoda having to deal with these feelings as well. I could see, you you almost wonder if this is some kind of trial that all Jedi have to go through. And, you know, we've often wondered, you know, maybe Anakin's a special case with this whole Padme thing, but maybe every Jedi kind of has to go through that. And the reason that nobody gets involved directly is because they expect it to be a learning experience for them. They expect, that you know they are going to lose this this loved one, or they are going to come too close to losing this loved one, and it'll be sort of a thing like okay, well this is why attachment is bad. You know it'll be a hands on learning experience because you, you know Yoda going hmm, bad attachment is yes. You know may not be the same <laughs> as you know seeing a, 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 a it's not the same lesson as seeing a loved one die or a loved one in, in extreme danger, and perhaps that's sort of what's going on here. And they expect this will happen to to them at some point. And so they sort of back off Anakin and Padme, and, well, that didn't really work out, uh, you know. Well, yeah, the yeah, galaxy dissolves into an empire, you um, know. Little things. Small things. Uh, <laughs> sorry, go on, guys. Things like that. <laughs> sorry, Jeff, you were going to say something there?
1: Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder how why, how, or why, you know, in the EU, um, Luke ha- has a love interest uh, Mira Jade uh, yeah. after the events of Return of the Jedi. It makes me wonder why Luke, I think Luke allowed love in the New Jedi Order. And it, well, I mean, it's non-canon now, but still, I mean, I'm still wondering why he still did that. Well, what, it, do you, what do you think about that, Dominic?
2: It, it's interesting that you should bring that up because, you know, I think the difference in what we're looking at is the difference between love and attachment because I think what Anakin and Padme have is, is, is attachment disguised yes. as love, whereas... Yeah what Luke sees as as true love, for example, among family members, you know, like father to son or son to father, because, you know, because Luke loves Anakin basically unconditionally, he basically says to him, basically in Return of the Jedi, that, you know, no matter what you've done, I I still love you, I'm still going, I'm not going to fight you because of that. And, and that's ultimately why Vader picks up the Emperor and throws him down the shaft. And so it's, it's that kind of love and that's why Luke would allow, in the, the legend stuff, why they would allow, um, some kind of, of love into the Jedi order. Uh, and, you know, Anakin says in, in episode two, you know, compassion, which I would define as unconditional love is, is essential to a Jedi's life. Uh, and he turns that into his, you know, zone sort of version of we're encouraged to love. Uh, you know, so it's not <laughs> too much of a change in the, in the direction. And, uh not to get into the problems of the expanded universe is that I think the Jedi order in the expanded universe became a bunch of became a bunch of Anakin's. quite frankly, they were all attached to their loved ones and freaking out over stuff. And, mm. and it was not the Jedi order that I expected and not the Jedi order that I liked. Uh, and so I, I was a bit disappointed with the direction they took some of those books. And so, so I think, you know it'll be interesting to see when episode 7 comes out what direction they take it how they go about looking at it you know is there's will there be a little bit more leniency for for you know true love for compassion love like that or will they sort of realize that you know more often than not, it's just going to become an, an attachment, and that's going to, you know, look what happened the last time somebody got attached to some to somebody <laughs> else. And that's And Again, you know, things didn't really work out. You know, Death Star blowing up entire planets, so all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> it, 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 it'll be interesting to see. December 18th, 2015! <laughs> yeah!
0: Woo! Well, not, not to go on a complete tangent, kind of finishing up on this, but I, I completely agree with you there, Dominic. I feel like Episode seven will be interesting because, in a way, it is a clean slate. You've already had the Anakin situation with him going into the dark side as a consequence or as a, as a result of his attachment, whether it was with his mother and his, as you said, attachment with Padme, which which was not love. I, I I'd say his love for his mother was was genuine, was un, as you said, unconditional love, which is the same way that Luke feels for Anakin in the in the original trilogy. You can see the parallels emerging there i be interested to see because it'll be a new Jedi Order and as you said, it's a new slate almost. So they could go in any direction and that would be really interesting. They could easily go down the direction of just saying well, these were the Jedi principles we are going to stick with them but you can have unconditional love for you, obviously your family members. Yeah. On the other hand, they may well scrap that and say well no, this is going to be a completely new Jedi Order where people have relationships all the time. I doubt, I doubt it would be quite like that but it, it, it could go either way and, and obviously with the Diminishment and the relinquishment of Anakin Skywalker as we know him, and obviously he he may well feature in there as a hologram, but I don't—he's obviously dead. So I'll be interesting just to see where where they go with it. I feel that's going to be an interesting point. But thinking back onto this arc in regards to that, I was just trying to feel that—I was really just trying to question whether Anakin and Obi Wan's relationships, whether it was with Padme or with Satine, were just isolated desolate incidents really uh, in, in in these particular in this particular arc and in, in a particular pre, in the prequel period rather than a, a generic Jedi I guess trait that everyone has to deal with and I feel like you answered that quite well like, I agree with you yeah. I feel that it is yeah. definitely a, 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 a trial almost that the Jedi have to go through yeah exactly
2: yeah,
1: yeah I'm going to say one more thing about the attachment thing then we can you know move on and get back on track <laughs> and um, anywho um I'm hoping that like a standalone film or a spinoff film or something will hopefully highlight the effects that attachment have on these Jedis. I'm not saying have a love Jedi, a Jedi love film, but like maybe like if there's a Yoda spinoff film or something, it could show like, like his, maybe he had an attachment of someone a long time ago, you know, 900 years old he is. Um, Anyways. And then like it could show the effect and why the Jedi order um, does not like attachment, you know, and with jealousy and and all that, so maybe if they do a Yoda spin-off film, they could highlight that as you know part of the film. So, um, well, yeah. I, don't,
0: I don't think they necessarily need to do that. I feel that's been stressed and highlighted already with the Anakin, the Anakin piece, story, if yeah. I'm being honest. I don't think they need to make a separate film on that. They could easily have it as an underlying theme in many of the other films. But I don't. I don't think the story would really. I guess what's the word, it wouldn't really encourage fans to want to go and see it, or just mainstream audiences, because I hate to yeah, say I, it, uh, no, a lot, lot of people <laughs> weren't a fan of the Anakin and Padme relationship. They thought it was, I agree, at some parts it was tedious, and it didn't necessarily make sense, and was maybe it the end, was the purpose of George yeah, it Lucas. it wasn't supposed to make
2: sense. I mean, that's the thing. It, exactly. It's, the whole point is that it, yeah. it's not true love, it's just an attachment, because, and there's no yeah. better, you know, demonstration of this than in Revenge of the Sith, when, Anakin and Padme are talking on the platform on Mustafar, and then Anakin sees Obi-Wan there, and his reaction is, you are with him. It's basically, you know, Obi-Wan is taking you away from me when really you are mine. mine, I possess you, and because of that, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to kill everybody. And so, you know, it's... That's you know the Anakin Padme relationship is supposed to be weird, um, I, I really think it, it is. Um, although there are some some very interesting parallels between Anakin and, and Padme relationship and the Obi Wan and Satine relationship. You know it's it's formed you know when they're both quite young, uh, and they're they've been together on some kind of assignment, you know in hiding in secret, you know uh, with uh, mm. Obi Wan and and Qui Gon. Uh, protecting her on Mandalore, Anakin as her bodyguard, uh, as um, Padme's bodyguard on, on Naboo in Episode 2. I can't believe I nearly, I nearly forgot the pl- name Naboo. Oh, my oh God. Brain <laughs> not fart. That's, that's, a, that's a brain fart. Come on. Um, and, and then, um, you know, and then they they make the decision not to fall in love. Although that's a very short-lived decision for Anakin and Padme, much longer one for, for Obi Wan and Satine, and then they they do pro- profess their love for each other at, at some point, and then the the female partner dies <laughs> as a result mm-hmm. of this, you true. know, with, with Satine being stabbed. And there are that that for that part, there are some very different circumstances. For example, Obi Wan does not ex- does not actually kill Satine, whereas Anakin is. Um, directly and directly responsible for for Padme's death, more so than than Obi Wan for Satine. So it's 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 very interesting, and it raises some questions about about Han and Leia because if you look at the original trilogy, those are <laughs> they're starting off that way, you know they're it, they're they've been together they've been stuck together for a very long time, and they're sort of at first you know Leia doesn't want anything to do with Han at the beginning of Empire, and then they they do profess their love for each other. It all, now you're just waiting for, you know, one of those two to die in Episode <laughs> 7. That's going to like. happen. Uh, for them to, you know, decide, hey, maybe after Revenge, Revenge of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi, they decided to, <laughs> they decided not to, I thought we decided not to fall in love. You know, like, you never know. It's it's interesting to see where where they're go- they're going because they are, you know, it kind of seems like they're on the same course as, as the prior relationships. But anyways, enough about... Enough about love. One last thing. Give us oh. one final thought. Final thought to to close out this discussion, and then we'll move on to blowing some stuff no, up real good.
0: This <laughs> is this is, but this is this is still into the art. But I just wanted to say another common feature is is the situation that's involved, and they seem to profess their love in times of. Yeah. near-death experiences <laughs> yeah, point. whether it would be in the arena when Padme says to Anakin I love you even though she said that she didn't beforehand and then obviously Han and Leia with the, the carbon uh, freezing chamber the carbon freezing chamber and another time in episode 6 when she got shot and then the final one obviously in this arc is when Satine's about to get shot and the ship's about to be blown up by Tal Merrick and then that's when, I love everyone's like, this is hardly the place on time. I'm like, yeah, right, someone actually says this.
2: <laughs> Somebody Say this. Yeah. Everyone's like, don't, we don't want to wind up like Anakin and Padme, not now. <laughs> <laughs> now. Afterwards, afterwards. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, All right, yeah, it definitely is a very valid point, and it's it, you know, you kind of wonder if it's if it's again if it's really love or if it's emotion and adrenaline and and hormones and and all that kind of stuff, just because of the situation.
1: Are you saying they're they're teenagers here? Come on, no, but
2: no, but okay, look, hormone. (laughs) <laughs> Hormones are not something that is unique to teenagers.
0: <laughs> um, anyway, you just grow out of them in eventually. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Now that we've descended let's into move away from now, now that we've discussed Cuban biology, let's talk about about some experiments. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Death Watch how about Death Watch um, yes yay <laughs> we've made it um, however long into the episode we've barely talked about them but it's 40 terrible. minutes in this is their arc really um, but yeah so we were introduced to, to Death Watch and to Pre um, first off the Death Watch threw basically a suicide bombing uh, in the park where Satina had been trying to convince us no no they're just they're hooligans they like to graffiti and vandalize and you know just simple stuff like that like they hey. Hey, I just thought of something.
0: Like Sabine. Sabine, yeah.
2: <laughs> I hadn't thought of that before. Well, hey, it makes sense. Mandaloris. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so but then Dude. we see them as this sort of, as the art goes on, as this marching army. Uh, and and so uh, just initial impressions of Death Watch. Uh, what would you guys think of them? Uh, Kieran, you go first. Death Watch and Previsla. Oh. Both
0: of them. Death Watch and Prevista. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll I'll talk about Death Watch first as an entity. And we kind of alluded to the Mandalorians before, but I think, as we also need to make clear, the distinction between these two sets of Mandalorians. You have the Death Watch, and then you have the so-called pacifists who are living on Mandalore. And these Death Watch on Concordia, in my opinion, represent the true Mandalorians, the Mandalorians of the past. And these are the Mandalorians that are looking to emerge in the future this is what Mandalore, the purpose and their vision is really encompassed in the idea of them being these super commandos and then fighting the Jedi and they believe they should have full control and re well, get get Mandalore back and in into how it was in the past. So the Death Watch that's really the entity there and obviously this armed Renegade group. They're, I feel they're more than just hooligans, though. They are an armed force. They're an armed unit, and and they certainly are a third element in that regard. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys watch Game of Thrones. I'm not going to say any spoilers because I know everyone does yeah. not want to know about that. Yeah, if you, if you
2: if you spoil Game of Thrones for me, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil Breaking Bad for you. That's, that's I am saying That's nothing. the deal.
0: <laughs> I'm not saying anything. What I'm saying is, regards to Game of Thrones in that example, is that there just there are a number of different groups in there all fighting for a a similar thing. Um, I I won't say any more. That's quite vague, but I don't want to spoil anything. Say more, Karen. Say more. (laughs) (laughs) With regards to to the Death Watch, in a way, they have their own mission of finding mandalore but is there something more than that do they themselves want to assert their control on the galaxy in a similar way that palpatine does in the same way that the jedi want to restore peace and justice that's really there's an end game and there can be a similar one for these groups and that's why i labelled therefore just as third group because they are big enough to have an effect the same way the republic and the separatists do in my opinion, if if they are allowed to grow and develop as much, well, but, but, all, right, all right, you're going to counter that later. But <laughs> with regards to say, with regards to say, season four and season five, I would disagree with that because they they don't really give off that impression. They look more like bounty hunters and pirates. But and they I understand say, also they so they're the interested in
2: Mandalore. <laughs> yes, but I don't think.
0: Are they just interested in Mandalore? I feel like is there a stepping stone beyond that? Are they just interested in Mandalore? Because I'm sure there must be a further vision vision than that. Because otherwise, why not go and take over it now? Because to be honest, they don't look like they're going to defend themselves much. And I know they talk about any episode when they go and say that, oh well, you won't have the will of the people behind you. Well, I'm sure if you did what they. Find in season five and start shooting a few of them, then they won't, you know, they'll start, they'll start <laughs> buying you. That's <laughs> <forfeiting> government start <laughs> the people, and they'll, start, <laughs> yeah. they'll, start with they'll start listening. They'll start listening. But just to finish on, before everyone starts to counter that point I just made, just qu- I'm going to quickly mention Pre and I want to say that he's a really cool character, and he is certainly one of my favourites in the Clone Wars in terms of villains, and certainly a recurring one. I mean, that Darksaber is so cool, so cool, and it's just fantastic yes! to see that, the animation behind it, and also the history behind it, learning about how it was really handed down to him by the ans- by his ancestors, it was stolen from the Old Republic, I mean, this is one of the first times we actually hear about the Old Republic, there's it's just so much mystery still and awe surrounding pre vizsla which I feel that can be stemmed and, and and really expanded upon, not necessarily his character, but certainly the Mandalorians and the Death Watch in Rebels or whether they'll even play a role in a spin-off movie or something like that. I'm sure there's certainly something that fans would want to have a look at. Now, feel free everyone to challenge what I just <laughs> said there. I'm going to shut up now for a moment. <laughs> well, 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 Jeff,
2: I'll, I'll, I'll give you the chance if you want to uh, want to counter anything Kieran said or, or just share your own thoughts on, on Death Watch and pre and I'll just... And stuff.
1: I'll just share my own thoughts, then. I don't want to fight Kieran today. Kieran's too much of a Dugganator. I mean, he's the Dugganator. You can't fight the Dugganator. Yes. I mean, come on. <laughs> but anyways, um... But that Darksaber, though. Woo! Man, that Darksaber was so friggin' awesome. To see it contrasting with the Lightsaber, and there was a duel between Obi-Wan and Pre Vizsla, where it's supposed the Lightsaber and the Darksaber, and it was so cool. And, um... <laughs> but anyways i mean it really shows just how badass the death watch group is that they aren't just a bunch of hooligans that they are a legitimate you know a legitimate mandalorian organization representing the old mandalorian ways and, and it, it, was, it was so awesome seeing the Death Watch the Death Watch in action. If only they were shown a bit more in this arc, I probably would have liked it. But I, I'm sure we'll discuss that when we talk about the last episode of the arc. But anywho, that Dark Saber was pretty friggin' awesome. The fact that he stole it from the Jedi Temple. I hope there's a comic that shows how Previsla stole that Dark well, no, Saber. He, I want to see where that it. came from.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, he, I, well first, I just to correct you, uh, Previsla didn't steal it. His, his his ancestors stole it. Oh, uh, I messed up. But, uh, yeah, Sorry. Yeah, you're, you're officially banned from the podcast now. No. no! <laughs> okay. Um, I, the only thing the only thing, I, I was pushing back a little bit on, on Kieran just because of what they said in, in season five. <laughs> you know, they said they were only interested in Mandalore. And I think um, to an extent that is true. To an extent, I also agree with you that there's a little bit more uh, on their mind. Like, uh, you know, the Mandalorians, they hate the Jedi. So, you know, you could see them going off. They want to. To fight the Jedi, so possibly they could rejoin the war once they've established control of Mandalore. As just a, you know, you can see why they would team up with the Separatists. It's a chance to fight Jedi, um, and the fact that they were separated from them is perhaps yeah. they, they thought the Jedi would win the war, and you know they would, you know, they would just get their get Mandalore by their time, and then as soon as the war was over, maybe you know start up their own war and go after the Jedi, see if see if mm. they could do some damage that way. Um, but as for me, yeah, I, I, that. The, the dark saber is so cool, and you know I, I love that they've you know given us a clean slate with with canon um, because it, you know he mentioned stuff like you know this lightsaber was stolen from your Jedi temple during the fall of the old Republic. What well, you know, first off, that didn't really make sense before. The old Republic never fell. The first, the only time the Republic ever fell was at the end of the, the at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and really that was more of a just kind of changing the name and changing the power structure um than so much it falling uh so now we know that like that happened and that is a story that could be told at some point down the line once they get done with the sequel trilogy and same thing with with these new mandalorian wars that aren't what we saw in again in the, the legends universe that Satine references at the beginning is there's now we have this wide open slate and there's so much potential and there's room for all these different stories and it's you know watching these episodes and hearing these references like that, you know, it it, it makes me feel the way, you know, old school fans must have felt when they heard, you know, you fought in the Clone Wars? Because there's like, what was the Clone Wars? There's all this like crazy stuff that we, that (laughs) they didn't know what it was and, you know, now we know what it was and, and well, it's cool but they, it's, it's cool but we know what it was so there isn't necessarily the same like, oh, what was that? What was that? Now they've given us something new for us to go, oh my god, what was that? What was that? And Hopefully they'll continue to do that You know, for every time that they say, okay, well, here is what happened when the Old Republic fell. But, hey, did you ever hear about the time that da 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 da, da? And we're not going to yeah. tell you that yet. Take, have it, some fun talking about it, you know?
1: They better do that in Episode 7, man. I'd be very happy if that happened.
2: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure in Episode 7 there will be some references not only to, to things like maybe the Old Republic or, or, or stuff that happened before the prequels or, or – between Episodes 3 and 4, or between Episodes 6 and 7. There's a whole Mm 30-year period where, you know, we can hear something like, yeah, those bounty hunters that we ran into on Word Mantell sure changed my mind, you know, like that line in in Empire Strikes Back. So that kind of stuff. That's, you know, one of the great things about Star Wars is they're always giving us new things to go, oh, what was that? I wonder what that was like. And so as much as some... old-school fans may complain about, you know, oh, well, now we know what the Clone Wars was, so we don't have to we know, we can't speculate about that. Well, yeah, so we know what the Clone Wars were, but, but they've given us so many other little teases and stuff that, you know, now yeah. really, you know, more so than ever could be told the source, but could also be left to just be hinted at in, in movies and books and stuff. So it's, it's it's very cool. It's very cool. I like it a lot.
0: Exactly. Uh, and it's like so. just seeing Obi-Wan in a trailer. We're going to have pre instead when he, you know, when Obi-Wan's there saying... Oh, in the dark times, in the Clone Wars, and then we go and hear pre go and say, during the fall of the Old Republic in some yeah, trailer I opening, and then it like would just be a, a, a Republic falling, and it would just be awesome.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> here's the thing, I mean, not to get into too much of a discussion about the future of Star Wars, but, you know, after the sequel trilogy, we only... We kind of maybe might know what one of the movies after the sequel trilogy is, is, is from from some rumors that it would be a red five spin-off movie. But after that, you know, personally I don't hope I, I hope that they don't just go, okay, well, you know, episode nine comes out in two thousand nineteen, so uh two thousand twenty one we're coming out with episode ten
0: yeah like, uh, okay let's take a, let's take a few years take a breather,
2: between, yeah between the trilogies hey, maybe we can tell you know the story of the time the old republic fell or you know and, and what was that like or hey, let's talk about those Mandalorian wars or you know that kind of stuff. and so I, or or hey, Let's tell another story in The Clone Wars. Let's 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 tell you what happened to Ahsoka in a big screen animated movie directed by Dave Filoni and starring Ashley Eckstein. What? Well, I don't like that, don't know if <laughs> like that. That's
0: a... on your
2: list. Yeah that's, yeah, yeah, that's definitely on my list. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah write a petition. Yeah, write a yeah, petition. Yeah, those always work.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: Uh, anyways, let's just move on. Uh, let's go into the uh, the second episode a little bit. Um, so in, in this arc, uh, Satine is is going to the the Senate to try and convince them that they don't need Republic help. Uh, that you know they're not uh, that the, that the Death Watch aren't a threat to her. And yet, on their way to the Republic Senate, they're being attacked by the Separatists. And you would I would think that if the Separatists are attacking Mandalorian ships and the Separatists are at war with the Republic all of a sudden this becomes a Republic issue because the Separatists are involved and that they don't necessarily need the, the fake video in the third one to justify going to Mandalore um, if Mandalore is not going to say, yeah, we're Separatists I, I wonder it's, it's interesting, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think of that uh, Kieran, uh, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: With regards to Death Watch working with the separatists, the separatists yeah, does that like wouldn't
2: just the, the separatists being involved make it a Republic issue? Like it's it's it, or, yeah, it or is it still or is it still an internal, um, uh, Mandalor, Mandalor issue that they can say you know we don't need your help, they can say that to the the to the Senate. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. It, it seemed a, a, a tad odd. Well, that's
0: that's really interesting and. As I'm a history student, I might go into some real world history here and look at it. a couple of examples just to, to give an impression of that. For example, you have in the First World War, the Russian Revolution takes place, and leading on from that is a Russian civil war. And I would argue that this resembles uh, that this resembles a Mandalorian case study here, and. It was really a Russian internal affair, uh, in spite of them being in the war, but they they did decide to pull themselves out of the war as a consequence of that. however, also <laughs> however, after the first world War, then people started to get involved and intervened. Uh, and in that example, that's that's particularly difficult, and I'd argue that it, that was more of an internal affair. On the other hand, you could look again at say the Spanish Civil War which involved Germany and Italy. And obviously, this was prior to the Second World War, and they intervened, but the countries such as the United States of America, Britain and France, they decided not to intervene. Yet, that is really considered another internal affair, but with foreign intervention. So, really, what you can have here is this case of foreign intervention, but the difficulty with this one, in the Mandalorian case study, which is different from those two, is that, one, there's a war going on, unlike in the Russian Revolution when the Russians had pulled out. Um, obviously, the Mandalorians had pulled out, but the um, Britain and France and etc. only intervened after the war. And with regards to the Spanish Civil War, well, one side intervened, yet another didn't. Yet in this particular case study, you got separatists fighting Republic troops. The Mandalorians do seem to be in the middle of that. And so, it, it, again, I could, it, it's so complicated, and me not being able to actually... Understand that and really explain that in such a lucid and clear fashion to me illustrates (laughs) that that's probably why I was just kind of left under the carpet. (laughs) Even even (laughs)
2: even Palpatine's like, I'm not really
0: sure what's going on anymore. Well,
2: (laughs) somebody somebody edit that video for me. Okay,
0: exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So. Uh, there's a couple of complicated situations, and I guess uh, as a historian, I've, I've begun to look at history in a much more complicated fashion than just black and white. But I feel that it is it is a complicated and intricate affair. And, and as a consequence, I feel like as as casual viewers, and I understand what you're saying, the separatists have intervened. So that could be legitimate evidence in the Senate to say, well, hang on a minute. Hmm, uh, shouldn't we republics get involved because the separatists are involved as well? Yeah. At the same time, I I do understand there's a lot of complexity behind that, and we don't really necessarily want to see the politics behind it, which I understand, well, I don't mind seeing it, but a lot of fans, when they've seen the Clone Wars episodes, a lot of the ones that they don't like are the political episodes, there's no doubt about it, Um, a number of ones that stand in it. Um, that, that are clear to me are Senate Murders, for example. And <laughs> Heroes on Both Sides is a good one, though. Senate Spies, okay, but then there's obviously Pursuit of Peace and the whole Mandalore story with the Poison Snapple, <laughs> for example. Uh, another case studies in that, but I'm kind of going on off a tangent here, but with regards to your original question there, with the, the Mandalorians being involved with the Separatists, well, shouldn't that be an excuse then for Russian intervention? It doesn't really matter in the end, because obviously the Palpatine wants to make sure Russian intervention takes place. Yes, I, I've, confused and...
2: I've confused Karen to the point where he's now he now thinks that, that Palpatine is the leader of Russia. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and that Mandalore that. needs Russian intervention. <laughs> Palpatine's to say Mother, Russia. Oh, no. Mother Russia. Oh, my dear. Mother Russia, Palpatine i so. And C3 says I'm
0: so confused. Yeah, yeah,
2: some some oh, wires wires over. crossed in, in your brain. All of a sudden, <laughs> Republican Russia got flipped. move <laughs> on, <Right.
0: laughs> move on, move on. Okay, okay. okay take
2: over. Je- um, do, you, do you have any <laughs> any idea what's going on anymore?
1: Um, all I know for sh- all I can take from this, um, is. Um, the Dugganator knows everything, and, and that Palpatine oh, controls, okay. right.
2: so controls everything. Okay. Alright. Palpatine
1: controls everything.
2: Palpatine controlled everything. Okay. I think that's, I think that's, I as my close. Story. that's the end. yeah, I think yeah. that's as close to an answer as we're gonna get. Um, so let's, no. let's, let's move on from that. <laughs> that was a bit of a, I didn't realize what, quite what that would open up. You okay, Kieran? I'm all right. I'm just feel... taking a breather here.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> this is what happens when you mix the real world with the fictional world. You just get yourself all in the muddle and... Um... Colin Palpatine, the leader of Russia. Anyway, let's just move on. I don't want to mention that again. I'm <laughs> like going to listen back to this on a podcast you know, and go, oh, my God. <laughs> next, next thing you know,
2: Putin will a, be the supreme chancellor of the republic. <laughs> such a
0: political podcast. Let's hope no
2: not. So, <laughs> yeah, so we've turned into, yeah, oh, man. Well, let's let's move on. Let's move on. Um, let's move on to something non-political. How about 1,500 systems that want to remain neutral? That's not political at all, is it? No, <laughs> no, no. It's everything. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that because, you know... He does not does he? he? Yeah, he, he does, but he doesn't. And that's exactly. something that the Clone Wars showed a lot. Um, you know, for as much as he controls yeah. both sides, there are these other factions, and, which is what the Mandalorians become and what Darth Maul is, and to a lesser extent, what these fifteen hundred neutral systems are, and because they could, you know, go off and form their own thing that just sort of says, hey, you know, we don't want we don't want to be part of the, the war. Um, and so it, it's interesting. But it's, it's hard to know how big the republic is. I, I can't I've never been fully able to grasp, I mean, you know, there are there 20,000 systems in the Republic, a hundred thousand, a million, billion. Um, and so what percentage of that it is, um, you know, 1500 systems? Is that a lot? Is that a little? Uh, don't really know. Um, but it does seem like a significant number of, of systems are sort of saying, you know, really, this is not a, not, not a war that we want a part of. And, Again, this is what the Clone Wars sort of showed: is again how the Jedi could be perceived as evil because they are leading this war, and there are these people that are saying, "Hey, look, y- you shouldn't be fighting this war. We don't want to be part of this war. Why are you part of this war? You're supposed to be keepers of the peace." And mm-hmm. in the first episode, Satine and Obi Wan have a, have that debate. You know, they are they they have that debate. You know, what is the place of a peacekeeper? And Satine says it's to keep. Uh, conflict, conflict from ever arising. And then Obi-Wan says that be- Peacekeeper belongs on the front lines. And, and then Anakin says that they fight for peace, uh, which Satine scoffs at. <laughs> um, and so it, it always begs the question of, of, you know, are, do these 1,500 are, – are these 1,500 systems that want to remain neutral, are they really the good guys? Are, are are they the ones we should be cheering for? Because we know that the Separatists and the Republic are both controlled by Palpatine. Uh, Jeff, yeah, can, I, can I say my answer? Yeah, yes, go for it.
1: That, yes, I do believe that the neutral systems are very good because they're fighting against Palpatine. I don't know if they really – they probably don't the leaders of the system, the neutral systems probably don't know that Palpatine controls everything, but I I think they're they're starting to suspect that Palpatine controls everything. And and, and I believe they're doing a good thing by being neutral and staying out of the war, going for actual peace, making the Jedi's vision seem um, delusional or um, um, altered in some way because Palpatine controls everything, you know. And I mean, if, if Palpatine didn't Control everything. I'm sure there wouldn't be the Clone Wars, and you know, Palpatine controls everything. That's all I gotta say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sure. C- what do you think? Do you think?
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of challenge that point with saying that the neutral systems are suspecting that Palpatine controls everything. I don't think they know that much. I feel they may. Realise that he controls a lot more in the Republic, and he's he's evolving into this really dictator, uh, autocratic leader more than anything else, of at least yeah. the Republic, which is emerged. But I wouldn't say that he, they recognise that he's in control of the Separatists, for example. I'm sure they still believe that Count Dooku is, uh, because obviously he is the leader of the Separatists, and there's no yeah. doubt about that at this point in time. When he dies, maybe then, because then that's when you see in the deleted scenes the lights of Padme and Bail are thinking, hang on a minute. What's, you know, what's really going on here and it really starts to accelerate into the formation of the Rebel Alliance and that is really what I label these neutral systems as the Rebel Alliance these are the Rebel Alliance of the Clone Wars they're not there by name but that is really what they are because they're not choosing a side but as a consequence of not choosing a side they're not on Palpatine's side and that is the difference here and that's really what the old trilogy is about obviously is the Rebel Alliance against the Empire and this is kind of what Palpatine is consolidating and almost has supreme power over the entire galaxy, apart from clearly these few fifteen hundred neutral systems. So yeah. I would say we should be rooting for them. That's that's my opinion. Um, what about yourself, Dominic?
2: Yeah, it it makes sense. It, I definitely uh, am. I, I I kind of agree with you guys. I, you, you know, they're the ones that sort of realize, or maybe they don't, that they realize that the war is is not the right thing to be. Happening at this point, and you know, quite frankly, they're right because it's a war orchestrated by the Sith, and so you know, it's kind of unfortunate that the you know formation of the Rebel Alliance scenes from Revenge of the Sith w- were cut out, cause that where you had the, the delegation of 2000 and, and all of that stuff, and again, there's 2000 systems, so 2000 systems wanted Palpatine to step to to give back some of his power, where it's only 1500 were neutral, so maybe we're starting to get a sense of how big the republic is there um you know it it is definitely something that yeah they are they're sort of the one they're the smart ones and yet they didn't really do enough to avoid being swallowed up into the empire which is a a bit of a shame for uh, for them um let's also let's move on um in uh, in this episode, we also see Obi-Wan. Let's, let's go back to love for a little bit. Um, <laughs> Obi-Wan and Satine, they they do profess their love for each other in sort of this, you know, almost deadly situation. And there's been a little bit of speculation among fans uh, of whether or not they were sincere in this scene or whether or not they were just trying to, um, you know, buy some time from, you know, b- before Tal Merrick blows them up so they can figure out a plan to stop him. Uh, And so I'm curious as to what you guys think. Do you guys think they were sincere, or do you guys think they were just kind of, you know, just killing some time until, you know, Anakin could show up and stab him in the back? Uh, Kieran, what do you think?
0: I think they were being sincere. I genuinely feel they have love for each other. It worked in two ways, though. Obviously, she managed to get out of the situation by stamping on his foot and then grabbing (laughs) the blaster. But I genuinely do feel there was authentic feelings being delineated there which which is just quite something when you think about Obi-Wan Kenobi and what we have already discussed how he's been so out of character and this really explains and justifies a lot of his actions throughout this arc so I I personally believe that it is candid, forthright and sincere which is really intriguing to actually think about, I, I understand that as you said it's Undergone a lot of controversy and debate amongst fans. How sincere was this relationship? How authentic is it? And there's no, there is no relationship, but I believe the love element is certainly there. It obviously helped them get out of the situation, but it would certainly be something that has binded the two characters together. And you can, well further illustrated by how much he talks about Satine's past, how much he talks about a relationship in the past, and really. Questioning the conceptualization of Jedi must not form attachments. And then he goes and says that when he talks about that with Anakin, talks with Anakin about that, that they usually leave the undercurrent of remorse. He's certainly questioning a lot of the Jedi, Jedi's philosophy and, or sorry, Jedi philosophies rather. And it's really illustrated in that point, but further conveyed in that particular scene with Satine where he finally professes his love. That is what I, I I honestly believe. What do you think, Jeff?
1: Yeah, there was one saying that Obi-Wan, I believe it was in that part of the, where Obi-Wan actually said it, where he said, um, had I said the word, I would have left the Jedi Order. And I believe that kind of describes how love affects the Jedi. I mean, and there's not much I can say for this. I kind of said everything at the beginning of this um, episode, so, um,. Yeah, yeah. So, there's my short answer. What about you, Dominic? <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I, I agree with you guys, and I think that there is evidence that they were being sincere, and that's in um, Season 5 when, when Satine gets killed, and, you know, it, you know, it obviously hurts Obi-Wan a lot on the inside, and, you know, Darth Maul must have realized this, because he was able to go after Satine and, and kill her, and he realized that that would be painful for Obi-Wan. So, yeah, I, I do definitely think they were sincere. Um, I I think... I think it was a little bit of both. I think they were sincere, but I think they were also thinking, hey, maybe this could, could buy us a little bit of time. Um, and, you know, that might have been the initial thought, but when they started speaking, they spoke from their heart and it became sincere. Um, let, let's talk about how this episode ends with, with Anakin uh, putting his lightsaber through Merrick. Um Was this a hint at Anakin's uh, darks, future side ness if that's a word, or was it just Anakin doing the the right thing to to you know try and <laughs> try and save the ship uh, as he says um, Jeff, what do you think Can I
1: go, yeah uh, I, I actually I believe it's a mix of both actually and um, I mean there is like after Anakin like kills the guy, there is some dark music that is ominously played in the background to represent you know that you know, that's kind of a dark thing that Anakin did, but I think other than Obi Wan saying Anakin, I, I mean <laughs> there wasn't Anakin. Okay, yeah, the, there wasn't a lot of reaction to it, I, I guess. But but then uh, as you know, the other point that uh, you made in the question there, Dominic was uh, he was just doing, you know, like Anakin said it himself that he was going to blow up the ship. So because you know he had the trigger to blow up the ship in his hand, it kind of makes sense to you know, you know take care of the. This, take care of the bad guy and take care of the situation but i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn on i'm kind of torn in half on this i mean yeah i'm literally cut in half yeah totally but um <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it, it's, it's kind of complicated i do like that it foreshadows what anakin's going to become that's another thing that the entire tv series does really well it's for foresh- foreshadowing man and I, mean, I don't know, maybe it's just because Palpatine controls everything. I mean, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Kieran, what about you? What about? What do you think?
0: Well, you might be reading my notes here because I feel like that's exactly what I was going to say, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, a, uh, you, that's
2: a good I read your thing, mind, I,
0: read, I, I, <laughs> I completely concur with what you're saying there, Jeff. I feel that there is that mixture there, and the music really illustrates how, how it is adumbrating or foreshadowing the the all-to-the-dark side of Anakin Skywalker, and that's something that's really been an ongoing and running theme throughout the Clone Wars. Obviously, it makes sense with the run-up to Revenge of the Sith. So I would agree with that. And I guess I'm trying to think in my mind, were there other things he could have done to stop Talmud? Merrick cannot kill him, and I'm not really sure, to be honest, I don't know exactly how that detonator was supposed to work, whether if it fell on the floor, would it explode, because obviously he (laughs) caught it when he stabbed him, Um, I'm not really sure, so... I'll, I'll let him have the benefit of the doubt this time, Anakin, but I know there'll be future situations where I will disagree with that, notably in the Zygerian arc, where I will have plenty bad things to say about you there, mate. So I will um, <laughs> I will put it on to Dominic on your thoughts.
2: Well, I think um, killing Tom Merrick was not necessarily a dark side thing. Uh, however, his reaction is, is what makes it a dark side uh, moment, because... Um, you know, I think had it been Obi-Wan, or had it been Mace Windu, or had it been Yoda, you know, as soon as the lightsaber went through him and the the, the detonator was caught, there would have been sort of a pause, you know, a moment to sort of respect the life that has been taken, that, that you know, this person's not one with the Force, even though they were an evil person, you know, so there would be sort of, the, there would be a look from, from the Jedi, but instead, you know, he stabs him, he catches the thing, and it's, you know, there's the great line, you know, who will be branded a cold-blooded killer, and then, you know, they get stabbed, and the next line is Anakin, and it's sort of it's foreshadowing that sense, and you do get a little hit of the Imperial March with the da 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 yeah. da da you know, you kind of get that so it, it really, they are hinting at this dark side thing um, I think, you know, Anakin probably made the right decision in terms of, of that you know, maybe he could have sliced off his arm instead uh, that would have been a possibility. But I don't think anybody's going to would say killing Tall America in that situation is the dark side trait, but his lack of respect for the life that's been taken is um, much more of a, a dark side thing, because Darth Vader never cares about killing anybody. Darth Maul doesn't care about killing anybody. Uh, Sidious doesn't care. They, not, none of the dark side people care about killing people, but the Jedi... Part of the thing about Jedi is, you know, compassion, and they're supposed to care when that kind of thing happens, yeah. and Anakin obviously doesn't, so... He's kind of doomed in that sense. All right, all right let's uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, let's, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> let's let's move on to the uh, the final episode. Um, you know, there was some other stuff in that episode with the, with all uh, you know, Anakin teasing Obi Wan about about Satine, uh, about his past with Satine, and and the stuff with the clones. Um, it was interesting side plots, but. Um, you know, there's not too much to d- to discuss there, um, and I'm I'm just saving some of the uh, Obi Wan Anakin teasing Obi Wan stuff uh, for the quotes at the end of the show, um, and sure we'll bring those up then. Um, but yeah. I want to talk about the last episode, and you know, the last episode is one that I think really benefits from 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 from, from hindsight and, and foresight and knowing where the series is going, uh, because when I first saw it, I was horribly disappointed in it because I felt that they were you know, building up, building up, building up to like a big Jedi versus Mando's showdown in part three. And instead we got a, basically a political espionage thriller. And so at, initially I was disappointed with it. Now looking back on where they were going with the Mandalorian story and everything that happened after that with, with, with Maul and, 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 and the separation of, of, of the Mando's from the Separatists and, and all of that kind of stuff. It makes a lot more sense, and I enjoy it a lot more for what it is. Um, do you guys have similar uh, reactions to this uh, to, the, to, to this episode, Karen? I'll, I'll ask you first.
0: think my initial thoughts when I when I saw Duchess and Mandalore were pretty negative, and that was really linked to a number of factors. One of them being the scheduled release of many of these episodes did not take place on a weekly basis; they were, I believe. Uh, there wasn't any organized schedule at all, it was every four weeks or two (laughs) weeks one and so when this one came up you had the big build up with Mandalore plot, the Voyager Temptation and it really seemed very anticlimactic at the time because Star Wars fans want everything now, we want it now this must be this big fight, let's have it now (laughs) now, you had the army assembling and it seemed like there was going to be this massive war, you had the separatist warships in space, there was a giant mandalorian army with tanks you're thinking oh my gosh this is going to be the best episode i've ever seen in the clone wars and then it goes to a political episode and you're like <laughs> oh, <for laughs> but I, I i actually take it for what it is now and can respect that this is laying the foundations for something even greater in season 5 and i'm quite glad because particularly with the animation standards of season 5 i am quite glad to have to wait for that when you're looking at it from a hindsight point of view. So, and, the, and the political episode did, in a way, unravel and make more lucid what has been happening in these last couple of episodes, just to reiterate Satine's situation, and more importantly, how her character has ended up by the end of this arc. And it, it further conveys that this is far from the end of Mandalore, because you have the Death Watch still out there, And obviously at the conclusion of the Duchess of Mandalore, Dooku gives the impression that there will be another chance to attack Mandalore. The only disappointing aspect that I have to say, looking at it from hindsight, is that the Mandalorian arc would have benefited from having a episode at least to bridge the gap between a Duchess of Mandalore and a friend in need. I want to see why and how Pre Vizsla, uh, I guess, departed relations with Dooku, how that became fragmented. So that is the only complaint I can really have of the overall Mandalorian arc, and I'm not thinking <laughs> about that. But just in the grand scheme of things, because it does relate to my opinions on this episode, how it did seem anticlimactic, in my opinion, but... I also understand your point when you say it's really laying the foundations for greater stories. So I'll, I'll let him have this one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jeff, how about you? Um, what, were, what was your initial impression of this episode when you first saw it and has that changed um, you know since you've seen where everything winds up?
1: Uh, I'm, uh, Palpatine controls everything. No, no, oh, seriously. That, that was one <laughs> of the things, because of the whole political thing, uh, it was starting to break away in that episode because, you know, the heroes win. But anyways, yeah, spoiler alert, Yeah, like, there's a the thing on this podcast. But anyways, um, basically, yeah, I mean, I kind of concur with what Kieran originally said. I mean, I, I wish that, <clears throat> I wish that, that that episode was a little bit more action because it showed the Death Watch like they were uh, an army ready to kick some ass. Star Wars style. <laughs> but um but they didn't really show that and I mean I don't remember if they showed it in, in the season 5 arc. I um, I can't remember, but, um, I mean, I, 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 I thought that this would be a good opportunity to show the Death Watch in action, and, and it was kind of like a wasted opportunity, but I'm glad they did show the political side of it, and that they won it politically, which is weird in the Clone Wars because the Republic Senate is very corrupt because Balbatine controls everything, so, um Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, you guys have both mentioned some interesting things about, uh, you know, uh, the the future things with with the Death Watch and and all that stuff. Um, I I think a couple things about that. One, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, great Sith think alike because Maul and Dooku essentially have the same plan. Um, You know, Dooku wants to present the Death Watch as liberators and... What does Maul do? He presents the Death Watch as liberators, and so they're able to take over the planet. So I think that was that was interesting uh, thing. And notice again, watching these episodes now, knowing where things go in season five, and and then the the other thing um, that I thought was was interesting uh, is that you know in this episode we really in a way, it sets up sort of how the the Death Watch will take over the planet in the future, but it's also kind of the beginning of the downfall of the Death Watch. Like, this was their best opportunity to do it, and because they didn't do it, and they wind up And you know they wind up with the angry at Previs, at not Previsla Count Dooku, and they wind up parting ways with him. And so then they sort of go off and they're on the run, and they become sort of much more mercenary, pirate-like, as we see them in A Friend in Need. And then when they finally get back, sort of to their ways, you know, Darth Maul gets them thinking straight again and gets them to you know take over Mandalore. And then when Darth Maul kills Previsla, they splinter off. And I don't see the army that we see marching in the background on this episode splintering off like that. But because they've had all this time to go off, and they they went to be, they became much more mercenary esque. They they were able to, you know, Darth Maul was able to play on that and take half their military, and the other half you know, stayed loyal to Pre Vizsla and his vision, um, which was kept alive through Bo-Katan, and, and it's, it's interesting that way, uh, do you guys, do you guys sort of see that as, as, was this kind of in a way the beginning of the end and the best opportunity the Death Watch had? Uh, Kieran, I'll throw it to you first.
0: Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you there, mate. Ooh. I'm gonna challenge Ooh, you. Alright. Right. Alright. Here we go. Bring it. Uh, uh, bring it. Dugganator. Do get him. Go get him, Dugganator. Alright, um, Uh, in relation to your point where you say that the Death Watch, they do get their act together in Season 5, I I completely agree with that, and they lose their way. They come in these mercenaries and and uh, pirate-like characteristics that they really emulate from the lights of Hondo and Arca in Season 4, A Friend in Need. With regards to the Darth Maul, when you said that they they were splintered, but I, I, I believe I remember a line at Darth Maul's said, which was linked into the Mandalorian history, the Mandalorian past, the leader fights, that he fought, fights pre-Vizsla and the victor becomes the leader of the Death Watch group. Now, you said that half of them remained loyal to Visla, half of them went to Darth Maul. Could you argue that it was actually Bo-Katan's group that were the ones who were disloyal, not to pre-Vizsla, but to the Mandalorian heritage, the Mandalorian past? If it was tradition that you would, I know, I know she said it was an outsider could never rule Mandalore, that was another line that she said, but I also am of the slight opinion, which I can see will be opposed any time (laughs) now which is that the Mandalorian splinter group that went with Darth Maul were also following their traditions and heritage.
2: Basically, I think it comes down to what part of their heritage they want to follow, whether it's uh, you know, the leader who has killed, uh, the, the, their leader has been killed, so are they going to follow this new leader, or are they going to stick to the um, whole thing about the, the outsiders? Uh, you know, an outsider can never rule Mandalore. So there's, there's these two conflicting things there. Why I think that Bo-Katan and her crew are more loyal is because Darth Maul is a Force user. Darth Maul is a Force user, and the Mandalorians are sworn against the Jedi, and essentially the Sith are just another version of the Jedi. Um, even though they, they, I guess they kind of team up with Dooku, but Dooku was more of a, you know, they were, they were teaming up. Dooku wasn't necessarily their leader, so it's 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 interesting that you would, that that you know, there's that little debate there, but I I don't think that had I'm. I'm less worried about, you know, Mandalorian's, uh, you know, splintering and, and it, it, less is about the why and just the fact that they did. Um, because, you know, if if they hadn't had this time on the run, then maybe Bo-Katan wouldn't have become so loyal to Pre Vizsla and she wouldn't have stayed loyal and she would have s- stuck with Darth Maul or these other guys wouldn't have seen this more powerful figure and just sort of thought, okay, well, let's abandon everything that Previsla was standing for and go with him because this guy is more powerful. So I, I don't necessarily think that you know the reason that they splinter, splintered, uh, you know, their decision. The reason behind their decision splinter wasn't necessarily the uh, what I was going at. It is more there's just the fact that they did was because they had had all this time uh, away from being uh, a military and had become. Pirate like, that's more what I was going for than, you know. <laughs> they had to be loyal to one leader. I mean, they could have all just stayed loyal to Darth Maul, and that would have been would have been great for, for them. I think. Well, um, oh, one nil
0: to dominate. Well, well yes,
2: yeah, yes. You you, you, you may be you may be the Duganator, but I am the <laughs> Dominator. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh,
2: hashtag Dominic! Oh, boom! Watch. There we go. <laughs> Yeah. Um, (laughs) A couple more things before we wrap this up. Um, (laughs) um, Okay. I'm curious. um, In in this episode, we see um, Dooku talking to Darth Sidious about Mandalore, and Darth Sidious seems to have a vested interest in the fall of, of Satine's government. And I'm curious as to why this is. Is he just trying to draw Mandalore into the war because he thinks it will draw in more of those neutral systems, which gives him power over them? Or is there a a greater game? Does he have some plan for the Death Watch that he hopes they will, you know, eventually follow him because, you know, he helped them get what they wanted? Um, Jeff, I'll throw it to you first.
1: Well, uh, like I've been saying throughout the entire show, Palpatine controls everything. But, but, I mean, I think it's... (laughs) It's a combination of yes, he does want the neutral systems to fall into line, but I also do think it is a long-term plan to ensure that you know stuff like this will happen as part as part of the transition from the Clone Wars to um, um, uh, um excuse me the Galactic Empire you know after Revenge of the Sith. I mean, as it was clearly evidenced in season six of the Clone Wars that that this is the Clone Wars. It is a transition from the peaceful Republic to the you know the Empire and the evil Empire it's going to become. And I mean, and I do think it, it is a long term plan that Palpatine would be would you know have neutral systems go to his side, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and, and and you know, um, basically you know. Un- 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 unlimited power! You know, for the galaxy and all. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Palpatine controls everything. That's what I'm trying to say.
2: <laughs> cool, cool. Um, well, uh, yes. Jerry, what do you think?
0: I, I agree on some parts of that. <laughs> no, I understand that Palpatine controls everything, and I certainly <laughs> can see the opinion in which... Uh, well, not everything, everything, but it controls a lot, is what I'm trying to say. He he doesn't control neutral systems, so and he wants to get Mandalore as, as as obviously one of the systems that is neutral it, on either side, whether it's separatist or republic side. But there's more to it than that, in my opinion, and I, I I don't really know what his end game or end goals would be regards to Mandalore. But I feel that there's a there is certainly a bigger role that. He wants he wants Mandalore to play and take a part in than has really been alluded to and really explained in the Clone Wars at all because it's really just been left. And I believe there is something there that we, we we should be keeping an eye on out for. Would Would you really want someone like the Death Watch to try and to be? Well, obviously you want them to work for you, but can they <laughs> work for you? Is a question that I would be asking myself when you see that Bree when we talk about season five, I don't want to go into too much about that because obviously that's another arc that we will go into Mandalore, discussion so about. Yeah. Oh no, I understand that, but I don't want to. It, it, we talk about this particular arc, but just in relation to Previsler and Darth Maul there, how Previsler tries to get the upper hand on Maul, really goes to show that he, in a way, sees himself as more acclaimed, esteemed, and he, he, he sees himself better than the Sith and the Jedi or at least he wants to defeat both the Sith and the Jedi in my opinion he he does differentiate how the the, the, uh, the Mandalorians fought the Jedi in the Old Republic at the same time he still wants to be better than the Sith he wants to have Mandalore for, him, for his own and I don't know what other plans or vision that he has in mind but I certainly believe it's bigger than Mandalore as I've spoken about before would you want people like that working for you, always constantly looking at your back, thinking, you know, well, you could easily kill one of them, I guess, if you're serious. But <laughs> you, it's it's just another conundrum that you don't really need. And with the plan of the Force users that's been alluded to in the Children of the Force, is there really any need for a group like Death Watch? In my opinion, I think it'd be better if they were to just disband and do exactly what actually what has happened in the Clone Wars—they splinter, they split up, they schism into. Two separate factions, and they're hardly a threat. Then, as a united, homogeneous force, they certainly are. So that is my opinion with regards to Palpatine and his involvement in Death Watch. But I'm not. It, it remains very ambiguous and, and and enigmatic. But what do you think, Dominic?
2: Yeah, I, I see. I, I asked the question because I, I legitimately I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious. I don't have a have a good theory about it. Um, what I will say is is that I. I kind of feel like it might just be a he wants the neutral systems in the war it it may be something as simple as that i'd like it to be something a little bit more um you know difficult or or or, you know more sinister i should say um but at the same time i I kind of feel like he might just be playing the politics game and you know if mandalorians are running around that's fine but you know he's not too worried about them and he doesn't have any real plans for them. Although you never know, I, he, he could try, be, be hoping that if the, uh, if the if he and Dooku help them out, that they'll help him out in the future, and they'll help him take down any help him take down the Jedi. Maybe they'll help out with Order sixty six. He hopes, but but you know, obviously that doesn't wind up happening, <laughs> unfortunately for him. And, you know, we're going to see in Rebels that there's at least one Mandalorian fighting against the Empire come, uh, you know, five years before A New Hope. So, um, let's move on. Uh, in in this episode, we haven't really talked too much about the plot of this episode, um, but um, Satine goes to the Senate, and there's a, uh, a video recording that's presented of uh, Minister Jarek, uh, and it's a Recording that's been tampered with, um, so that it's saying, you know, they need Republic support. That Duchess Satine is not uh, is not powerful enough, or is too weak to uh, properly deal with the Death Watch. Um, and then Satine goes on this little crusade to prove uh, that the video has been faked. Uh, but one thing that doesn't really get answered in the episode is, is who faked the video. And I, I'm going to ask you guys in a second, but you know, it's it's interesting that. I guess the technology in, in Star Wars has, has uh, is far much farther along than us when it comes to to hologram editing or video editing. Because um, to quote the great John Stewart, you know, uh, photos can be easily doctored, but videos—that's some James Cameron shit. So you know, you have to wonder. You have to wonder. You know, who is doing this? Because obviously they got some some resources. So who do you guys think doctored the video? Was it Palpatine, Massa Previsla? Somebody else that we don't know about. Um, Jeff, we'll throw it to you first.
1: Do I have to say my saying again, Dominic?
2: <laughs> you want me to say it again? Yes, say it again.
1: Oh, I'll say it again. Palpatine controls everything. Yes. You, you know that... I seriously think it is Palpatine because, you know, he controls everything. Man. But, I mean, yes, it does make sense for Palpatine to do it because, you know, because he wants to cause a civil war in Mandalore and cause all this stress and unrest. I mean, the, he, the Senate is pretty much on his hand. I mean, he literally controls it like it's his friggin' hand. So, <clears throat> it does make sense that he doctored the video. I mean, he could be, you know, as good as James Cameron. We don't know enough about the technology in the Star Wars universe for that. I wish we did, though. I mean, to see if James Cameron would be in the Star Wars universe. W- what do you think, Kieran? What do you think, Mr. Dugganator?
0: Well, I, I'm going to disagree. Oh, I'm ooh. going to go and say Last that I. And- well, no, no, I, okay, no. <laughs> I'm going to disagree on a point. I agree that Palpatine has doctored the In terms of the motivations, and you're saying that he had controls the Senate lying on the back of his hand, then I, I disagree with that because. He clearly doesn't. He doesn't win this one, does he? He wants the Republic forces to invade Mandalore, and yet, again, another senator, usually Padme Amidala—is the one who seems to be the one that <laughs> ruins his plans, as we'll later see in Heroes on Both Sides, doesn't always get the way he wants. And that is certainly what is <laughs> interesting with this particular arc, is uh, is this actually a Palpatine victory? I uh, would argue that it's not, because... Mandalore remains a neutral system and there is no Republic invasion force or, um, or I don't know what, resources and and military force that is given to the Mandalorians to use. None of that. There is none of that. And so Palpatine doctors are recording, but in terms of victory, I would say that it was no victory for Palpatine this episode for a change.
1: Victory. Yeah, we'll see. I I I
2: can't... Sorry, please go on, John. <laughs> was, that,
1: was that your Yoda voice or your Palpatine voice? I can't nah, tell. Yoda, of
0: course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that, 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 oh, 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 victory.
0: oh, oh it's
2: victory. Are... Not victory,
0: Master Dugganator. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got the show voted now, just because you won <laughs> one round, Dominator.
2: <laughs> yeah, you keep the score at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, um... So I, I, think, uh, I think that's it for, for these episodes, unless you guys have uh, have anything else you'd like to bring up. We'll move on to favorite quotes.
1: Um, I, I'll, I'll bring up one, one more thing. Other than my saying, Palpatine controls everything, I would like to ask, what do you – well, I'm asking this to both the Dugganator and the Dominator, Dominic and, and Kieran. I, I'm, I'm asking, um, what would – how how would these arcs have changed or be a little bit different if Ahsoka Tano was a part of this arc? What, what do you guys think about that? Uh,
2: well, to be honest, I think it would have played out exactly the same. Um, I think Ahsoka was I mean, pro- think- probably off just doing some other kind of Jedi training, whether it's something on a, a you know whether it's nope. in the library or something like the gathering, or hey, maybe lightsaber loss was happening concurrently with this. I don't we don't know, um, but I, I really I, I don't know. Uh, if Ahsoka would have uh, been more than a, a, a secondary character in this, maybe fighting alongside Anakin uh, in in Voyage of Temptation.
0: Um, yeah, I agree with Dominic. I, I don't think Ahsoka really would have added much to this arc. Um, yeah. I mean, who knows? The events of Lightsaber Lost might be happening at a similar time to this. We don't really know how the timeline goes, but we know that these episodes were after Lightsaber Lost. Yeah. Because <laughs> we are going chronologically, <laughs> so... Who knows? I, I agree with you. This is mainly an Obi Wan Satine story, and it's involving bigger forces than the lights of Ahsoka, particularly with Palpatine, Dooku, Vizsla, that really. She wouldn't have had much of an effect in changing the outcome, in my, particular, in my opinion, really.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Jeff? Um. Well, I mean,
0: if she was an active part of the
1: episode, like, if she was there to view, like, what, um, like, what happened if Obi-Wan and Satine, I do believe there would have been some sort of character development within her, and she'd probably learn that, you know, love does change you, and love probably is not okay. I mean, you know, in contrast, because, Anakin is her master, so, I mean, this is Anakin we're talking about here, but, um... But I, I I mean I think the only eff- I don't think she would have had an overall effect on the arc but I thought it would have been cool to see some character development in her to experience what happens when Jedi fall in love you know other than Anakin of course but <laughs>
2: Well I think she's going to experience that for herself a little bit in in some future arcs uh with 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 Mr. Lux Bonteri um
1: Oh yeah yeah
2: Lux, so, watch. Yeah. Know, Lux watch, yeah, Lux Soka watch, um, Luxoka <laughs> watch, as it should be. Uh, all right, so so let's move on to uh, our favorite quotes from this episode, Jeff. Since you're the guest, uh, do hey. you want to go first?
1: Yes, yes, I'd love to, Dominic. Thank you. Good, for, um, <clears throat> Dominator. I'm, I'm going to call you that on the Star Wars Underworld podcast, Mister Dominator. Please do. But <laughs> anywho, um. Um, I can't. I don't think I can say this this quote verbatim, but I remember some of it. Um, it was where, um, like, where Anakin and Obi Wan they were on the ship. They were talking to each other real quickly after chaos started occurring, and like Anakin, I think Anakin said he was going to go do this, 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 and he's like, "Obi Wan, go find your yeah. girlfriend." I'll handle Obi- this, Obi Wan. Like, <laughs> and Obi and Obi Wan's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah sh- sh- oh." Oh,
2: wait, she's not my girlfriend. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor Obi-Wan, man. This gonna got caught there. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kieran, how about you? Are you ready?
0: Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've all got three, but I've got two from Mandalore plot and one from Voyager Temptation. Yeah, not not too much in the other one, I have to say. <laughs> Duchess of Mandalore. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, this one will just make you laugh. I, I I don't know why. I just it just stood out to me, which was when Satine uh, was was on the walk and just said, "Good to see you again, Obi Wan." Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my favorite quote is the. <laughs> That's my favorite quote. <laughs> Oh oh my god, that was funny that I imagined when I put it there.
1: Dugganator, you're killing Dominic here! What the heck?
2: You have to explain that one. Don't
1: kill him! You have to
2: explain that one to me. (laughs) Why why is that your favorite?
0: Let me just say, it is not my favourite. It's just one that I've found here. Uh, In my mind, I thought it would be quite funny if you actually believed it was one of my quotes. So I'm glad that uh, this is the reaction I got because I'm actually crying right now. That is not actually my okay, quote. what's your quote? Yes, it is.
1: That is your quote. Yeah,
0: yeah, that have yeah. you've, you've used <laughs> up your quote, quote for this week. I'm taking
2: it. On. No, no, please. No, right, no, no. I need no, to, to a series. Okay. Wait, um,
1: if that was your first quote, then what are you others? I need to know the other quotes now. Come no, on.
0: There's only two. There's only two, right. Only one says at the end of the Bandalore plot. Uh, when he's talking with Anakin, he says, you look tired, master. He says, well, the peaceful ways of the locals have wore me out a bit. Nice, and <laughs> he's talking nice. with Satine and everything. <laughs> nice.
2: Good <laughs> good.
0: <laughs> Unlike the other one. <laughs> good <to say. laughs> um, Anyway. <laughs> That's the other one. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> out. down. Um, and at the end when um, of the voyage of temptation, <laughs> when Anakin... Uh, um, um, Satine's talking about <laughs> Obi-Wan I can't take this seriously now when Satine's talking about Obi-Wan he's like oh I'm still not sure about the beard he's like why well it hides your handsome face oh. and then he goes later and says what was that all about <laughs> and everyone else is like yeah what was that all about <laughs>
2: oh nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> good Thank you. stuff good stuff so well, hey
1: hey Kieran 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 what was that first quote again that you said no, the... I mean,
0: let's not go on that one. dude yeah. oh, <laughs> just right. about that. Better, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: so I've got two quotes as well. Um, one is from the first episode. Uh, it's when uh, the Mandalorians are approaching Obi Wan and Satyen after Satine has rescued Obi Wan. And, and Obi Wan says, We'll have to stand and fight. When well, of your case, just stand. And it's sort of like, Ah, got gotcha you there, Satine. Um, and then the other one is from Voyage of Temptation. We talked a lot about this scene. It's when Talmarik says, um, Come on, then. Who will strike first and be branded a cold-blooded killer? No. Uh, ah, <laughs> Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> yeah, just some great foreshadowing and a uh, nice little joke for those of us that know uh, what's coming up. All right, so that is going to wrap things up. Let's, bye, uh, bye. Yeah. yeah, bye. That's it. We're over. No. Bye. Um, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, we got to do final thoughts and score out of 10. Jeff, you're the guest. You get to go first. Final thoughts on this arc and give oh. it a score out of 10.
1: Top controls everything. 8 out of 10. I thought the arc was great. I mean, the the last episode could have been more action-y. They could have had more opportunities to do great stuff. But 8 out of 10, Poppy ting Controls, any, everything, you know, 8 out of 10. That's uh, Kieran, what's yours? Yeah, you
2: don't have to talk so fast.
1: <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Hey, okay, I'm going to emphasize that it was an 8 out of 10. Eight out 1, of 10. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6,
2: 7, 8. Great. You, you yeah. got that, Dominic? Yes, I got it. I got it. All right, Kieran. Um as fast as you like or as slow as you like please final thoughts and <laughs> I, I can't go time.
0: as fast as that I can't I'm still crying from the <laughs> earlier <if> quote <laughs> <was. All> Right. <laughs> in relation to this arc I'm going to give this one an 8.5 out of 10 uh, I feel like it was a very solid arc it set up a lot of good stuff in the future it was the future Mandalorian arc However, I am not the greatest fan of Duchess of Mandalore. It, okay, it does set up quite a bit, but as, as a political episode, it was, just seems so anticlimactic after we've seen such good stuff in the earlier episodes. I won't touch upon that too much, but just the, the best things of this half, in my opinion the, the lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan, no that was fantastic, animation was incredible and there was also suspense behind it obviously with learning about Obi-Wan and Satine a bit more and how he was protecting her, it was really eye opening and, and of Temptation was good in that regard as well when you've got Tal Merrick there with Satine and Obi-Wan's got to save her, it's really putting Obi-Wan Kenobi in a conundrum and he's certainly one of my favourite characters in Star Wars so just to touch upon that is, is, is very very cool and obviously the Mandalorian is a massive massive element in Star Wars that has been considered a line in EU even though it's not on the canon but at the time it was and so it is really really interesting just to see their backstory and actually their whole group Death Watch is certainly one to, to look out for. I have a feeling there might be a spin-off in, in, in the near future, but I'm not saying I'm in the yeah. know. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping more than anything else. But over to you, Dominic. Yeah,
2: final lot, thoughts. thoughts. I'm also gonna give this one an eight out of ten. I quite enjoyed it. It's very good, a very good arc. Um, I kind of agree with you, Kieran, but the final episode, you know, it could have been a little bit more, but uh, I like it for what it sets up and, and, and all of that. Um, great action, uh, great, lots of quotable lines, uh, and all kinds of fun stuff. So, yeah, definitely a solid 8 out of 10. Uh, and, yeah, looking forward to, to discussing the, the next arcs on the next episode of the show. Yeah. Um, who knows when that will be? <laughs> Depending on how, <laughs> how, how,
1: how five, years yeah. <laughs> yeah. five years later.
2: Five years later. Alright, we're gonna get to the uh yeah. Anyway, so thank you everybody for listening. Uh don't forget you can catch this show usually every other Tuesday um on Star Wars Underworld.com. Our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Clone War Strikes Back, um or the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed where you can subscribe to this podcast. And my other podcast, Star Wars Underworld Podcast, which is a uh, weekly source for all the best Star Wars news. And that's recorded live at 9 p.m. on Channel 1138. Um, hold on, hold on. I'm getting to you. I'm getting to you. you Don't forgot, worry. You got this Twitter. I'm getting Twitter to it. From... Hey, man. Hey, man. Okay. Hey, man. Hey, man. I've got notes here. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this longer <laughs> than you. Let's go. Um, <laughs> um, there's also, if you listen to the episode for the week of... Uh, March 30th, you will find we had a special guest host. It was Kieran, and we had a lot of fun talking about all the latest news on that episode. Uh, and don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. You can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Jeff, let us know what's coming up on Get Your Geek On. Well, I mean, you
1: know. If you guys don't know what, you know, if any of you listeners do not know what Get Your Geek On is, then there is something wrong with you. I mean, we always, we, you know, I have to help promote the show, but we do kick Monday's ass Star Wars style. It's every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Channel 1138, and, you know, it's hosted by David Grumillion, he's part of the, he's a Star Wars Underworld writer, and, you know, we discuss the latest Star Wars news, um, and we have we have good times on Monday nights, so it really makes the day. And and the cool thing is we even have a segment called the Sarlacc Pit, to where to where based off of the people's choice we throw in like a person who has basically annoyed like annoyed someone like like some guy who's driving terribly in the road. You know we throw him in the Sarlacc Pit with the Wilhelm scream. So that's a fun segment. And, the cool thing about Get Your Geek On is that we also have a pre-show, which is every Monday at 8pm Eastern, same network, channel 1138, and <clears throat> where we basically just relax, you know, hang out, talk to people in the chat, and we listen to Star Wars music. And, you know, uh, David Gramillion and you know, Chris Siegel, they, you know they do a great job of hosting and producing the show. So, I mean, yeah, you know, everyone should listen to the show every Monday night, 8pm Eastern on channel 1138. Yeah, Get Your see, Geek yeah. On.
2: Indeed, indeed. Be sure to check that out. And Kieran, I believe Expression FM is is wrapped up for the year. Am I correct? It has, pretty much.
0: We had our our march ceremony on Sunday and I did. Hey! Way
2: to go. (laughs) It it was
0: for... Congratulations. uh, Thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm waiting for the money and, 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 and the cash in the future, but no, on a serious note I, um, it, it was it was really great we managed to win because of a, a boxing feature that we did uh, oh, nice. a, a live event, so that was really cool but well, it has pretty much come to a close now, but in the near future there may well be some plays that I might be involved in, whether they're Star Wars related remains to be seen but there might be one, so um, definitely check out for that but like, so Sonic said, "Follow me at C Duggan Six. If you want to find out more information, about Expression FM, www.expressionfm.info, or on the Facebook page, www.facebook.com/ExpressionFM, to find out more information." All right, and uh, don't forget, you can send us an email, uh,
2: CloneWarStrikesBack at gmail.com. You can let us know your thoughts on these episodes or any future episodes, and uh, yeah. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Between shows, be sure to hit up StarWarsUnderworld.com for the latest breaking Star Wars news, including Episode 7, Rebels, uh, all the different standalone film directors that are being announced, um, and so much more. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening, and may the Force be with you.